Tina, can I confide in you? Yes. I'm just so frustrated. I mean, I prayed and prayed and prayed about God's perfect job for me, and I really thought that this was it. But it has been one trial after another. Riley is driving me crazy. He is so obnoxious, and he has no regard for personal space. I am just praying that God would transfer him out of here. Hey, Mr. C, what's up? Oh, see what I mean? Oh. Um, hello, uh, is this someone's cup? Anybody? Henry, don't be a germaphobe, really. Do you know how many microorganisms are on that cup? No numbers, please, Henry, no more numbers. Well, there's a lot, okay? And when you contract swine flu, just stay away from me. In fact, do us all a favor and, and just stay home. I don't want anybody staying home. I hope nobody stays home and because of the swine flu or the H1N1 virus. We have a lot of work to get done. Mr. Gregson, he, uh, he wants his project done by November 1st, and we will meet that deadline. Well, Mr. C., I can't speak for everyone else here, but I can assure you that I'll have my part done ahead of schedule. And in fact, I consider it to be some of my best work ever. That's good, Riley. But um, can I have the docs for the Halston project that I asked for yesterday? Um, that would be great. Sure thing, Calvin. I would have had them to you yesterday, but old Jenny's here. Didn't get them to me till late afternoon. And I don't know about you guys, my computer was running really slow yesterday. Was everybody's computers running pretty slow? No. no. Just get them to me by the end of the day, Riley. Sure thing, boss. You know, it's, it's my job to make you look good. But Calvin, I did not Janice, get I'm sorry. I have an appointment. Talk to me later, okay? Riley! I did not get my stuff to you late. I had that to you by 10, just like you asked. Tina can vouch for me. Right, Tina? Yes. Listen, doll. <laughs> Don't worry about it. You all make mistakes. Oh, I am sick and tired of him making me look bad in front of Calvin. Stand up to him, girl. Tell him what's on your mind. Tell him off. That's what I do. I just want to know why this is happening to me. When is God going to make this stop? Just let me know if you want me to uh, take care of him. I had four brothers. I can take care of my own. You know what's bad, Tina? I really try hard to make a good Christian example around here. And this is what I get. I don't even think Calvin notices how hard I work. Just a little appreciation. That is all I want. Is that too much to ask for? Is it? Uh, excuse me, ladies. There's 183 seconds until break's over. I suggest you start moving. 183 seconds to Hades. Lord, help me.
I'm going to share some great things with you. You know, as I was preparing for the series, I was thinking about all the jobs that I've had over the years. In fact, I actually started working for other people, not just at home for my parents, between my uh, third and fourth grade year. That's when I started mowing yards. And it started off by mowing Mr. Bodie's yard, and then Mr. Hurst saw that I'd mowed his yard, so he came over and asked my dad if I would mow his yard. And, of course, my dad volunteered me. Before I knew it, I was uh, mowing probably five, six yards a week. And, you know, I had more money than I knew what to do with. Think about it. You know, I, I grew up in the 70s. Was born in 1960, and so you could go to the movies, and for 50 cents, you could get in the movies. For 25 cents, you could buy popcorn. You could buy a candy bar. For 35 cents, you got a pop. And so, you know, I was bringing in $35, $40 a week, and I was rich. Boy, I had all that money. But my dad always told me that, you know, you can't quit a job until you have another job. And so I worked mowing yards up to junior high and through junior high and got tired of mowing yards. And so I wanted to go out and work other places. So I've hauled hay. I've worked for different individuals doing odd jobs, such as uh, pulling weeds, raking leaves, painting, etc. I've done construction. I've framed in homes. I've worked at Goodyear, Research, Safeway, Southwestern Bell. I've owned two businesses. I've been an associate pastor, and for the last 22 years, I've pastored here at Cornerstone Fellowship. And as I reflected over all of the jobs that I've had, I realized that I've had some great bosses, some good bosses, some bad bosses, and one really horrible boss, and I mean horrible. He was the type of person that would rant and rave, and if he was upset, he'd kick the trash can and it'd go flying across the room. He'd cuss everyone out, and the next day he would come in and pretend like nothing ever happened. If he did something wrong, he'd never take uh, credit for that. He would never come and say that was my fault. No, he'd find someone who was the scapegoat, and he'd make them look bad in front of the boss so he wouldn't look bad. Now, don't ask me why he was just that way. He'd stab you in the back quicker than you could say, ouch, and then he would pretend that he was your best friend and that he had your back. But it's not always the boss that creates a bad work environment. Sometimes it's your coworkers. And to tell you the truth, I've worked with some great people, some good people, some bad people, and a few horrible people. I was working over in Muskogee, and I worked with a guy by the name of J.R. I promise you, this guy was the carbon copy of Frank Burns on the sitcom MASH. How many of you remember MASH? You remember Frank Burns? I worked with him. It was over there. And you know, what's kind of interesting is that everyone that worked out of Muskogee couldn't stand this guy except for me. Because I was really into MASH at the time, and I couldn't believe how much he was like Frank Burns. And so I would just kind of play with his mind, kind of like Jim does with Dwight on The Office. And really, to me, he was kind of a hilarious guy. Another guy I worked with in Westville. He would go through the work orders before I got over there in the morning, and he would pick out all the difficult, most, uh, most difficult jobs, and he would put them in one pile. And he would look at all of the easy jobs, he would put them in another pile. And then when I got over there, he would say, these are your jobs. He said, I've got about six or seven. You only have two or three. Of course, they all had CR wire, which meant that I was going to work overtime. He would finish by noon, and he would go to Richard Hickman's lunchbox, if you're familiar with Westville, and he would drink coffee all afternoon. But I've had some pretty bad co-workers, and I want to emphasize, it wasn't the boss, it was the co-workers. I've also been a boss, and as a boss, I've had some great employees, some good employees, some bad employees, and a few horrible employees. I had one employee who was extremely talented. He was probably the most talented person I've ever had on staff. But he would take things from other people's office. 
Because in his mind, they didn't need it, and he did. So everyone on staff started locking their office at night when they went home. But it didn't stop him. Because people, locks only keep honest people out. So he'd lift out the ceiling tile. He would take a broom. He would climb up in the ceiling, and he would reach down with that broom, and he would lock, unlock the door from the inside. Then he would get what he wanted, and then he would lock the door back. And his rationale for doing that when he got caught was that he needed what they had, and they didn't really need it. You see, it was all about him and his ministry. No one else mattered. So eventually, I had this small mutiny on my hands. All my other staff members started coming to me one by one, and they would say, if he doesn't go, I'm quitting because I can't work with that man. And here's the interesting thing. This man came to me one day, and he said, I'm going to leave. I can't work with these people around me. And it was so funny because he thought it was everyone else, but everyone else on staff knew, no, it was him. So it's not always the boss that creates the hostile work environment. Sometimes it's a coworker or coworkers. Now, I've said all of this to make a point. And my point is this. All it takes is one person to turn a great job into a horrible job. All it takes is one person to create a hostile work environment. It can be a boss. It can be a coworker or coworkers. And it can even be a regular customer. But all it takes is one person to create a hostile work environment. So if you've got a, a great job right now, I just want you to understand that all it takes is one person to change that. So if you're thinking, I really don't need this series, I don't need to listen to what Pastor Allen's saying, let me just tell you, you might be in a great environment right now. You might have a great boss. You might enjoy all of your coworkers. You might be thinking, I love what I do. But I'm here to tell you, it can change. All it takes is one person to change the work environment. That's why I'm teaching this series, and I hope every one of you pay attention. Now, let me explain what I mean by a hostile work environment. The word hostile, when used as an adjective, means antagonistic, unfriendly, and mean. It's the exact opposite of being friendly and nice. So when I talk about a hostile work environment, I'm talking about working in an environment that's not friendly. It's not nice. And there's at least one per person, sometimes more, that refuses to get along with others for whatever the reason. And though they act civil, especially in the very beginning, you can definitely tell that something is wrong because they don't go out of their way to be nice. And at some point, it escalates to the point where there's open hostility. Words are spoken. Mean-spirited things are done to each other. And it becomes obvious that certain people can't stand others. People, that is a hostile work environment. Now, no one wants to work in that type of environment. Uh-uh. We want to work in a nice, friendly environment where we like the boss and the boss likes us. We like our coworkers and our coworkers like us. Everyone's nice to each other. There's no feelings of animosity, no feelings of hostility. That's what we all want. And it's possible to work in an environment like that. But let me be honest with you. It rarely happens. And if you are working in a place like that, like I said, just be patient. All it takes is one person. One person to stir things up. One person to create animosity within the group. And because it only takes one person, most work environments are what I would call hostile. And that's the code hard truth. Most work environments have at least one troublemaker. So as a Christian... How do you overcome in that type of environment? Well, that's what this series is all about. And this morning what I want to do is I just want to lay a foundation. 
And over the next few weeks, I'm going to begin building on this foundation to show you that no matter what environment you're in, you can flourish. You can overcome. You can be everything that God wants you to be as long as you follow his principles. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to begin by giving you some biblical advice. Most of you won't like it. In fact, let me just warn you right up front. Most of you are going to end up getting mad at me this morning. But if you take this advice, it's going to give you a whole new perspective on work. You're going to see things from a totally different viewpoint. And it will change your attitude towards your boss, towards your coworkers, and towards your company. And let me say one more thing. I said this was biblical advice. It's true. The advice that I'm going to give you comes directly from the Word of God. So I can't take credit for it. I'd like to, but I can't. The truth is, Jesus taught what I'm going to be sharing with you this morning. So you ready for the advice? Did you, did you pull out a pen or pencil? Because I want you to write this down. Here it is. Don't expect to be appreciated at work. Let me say that again. Don't expect to be appreciated at work. You wouldn't believe the number of people who complain that no one at work appreciates them or what they do. Well, honey, I got news for you. You're not going to get an attaboy every time you finish a project or every time that you accomplish a task. Why? Because you're being paid to do those things. It's your job. So contrary to what you might think, you're not doing your boss a favor every time that you finish a project or you accomplish a task. You're not doing him a favor because he's paying you to do those things. Now, if he's not paying you, then yes, you're doing him a favor. And he ought to appreciate that. But if he's paying you, you're not doing him a favor. Get that through your mind. So what I want you to do is I want to look, I want you to look at the person that's sitting next to you and I want you to tell them you're not doing your boss a favor. Yeah. Now listen, that paycheck gives your boss the right to expect you to do your job and to do your job well. And if you don't do your job or you don't do it well, then he's the one that's doing you a favor by not firing you because he has every right to fire you if, if you don't do your job and you don't do your job well. Now, let me drive this point home by using one person on my staff as an example. Oh, no, my wife's thinking, he's not going to do that. Yes, I'm going to do that, honey. I pay Mr. Drew Sampson a very good salary, especially here in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. Could he make more money in California? You bet you he could, but who wants to live in a loony liberal state with all of those environmental wackos? <laughs> Not me. Why do you think so many people are moving for cat from California back to Oklahoma? It's wacko out there. But in return for that paycheck, I expect certain things from Mr. Drew Samsel. I expect the lights, the sound, and the videos to be professional. I expect the lights to dim and to brighten at the right time and at the right spot. I expect the sound to be at the right decibel level and to be clear. I expect the words to our worship songs to come up at the right time so we can sing along. Nothing is worse than being a visitor at this church. Or maybe if you're like me and not even a visitor. It doesn't matter how much you sing the song, you still don't know the words. So when the words don't come up on the screen, you don't 
have the ability to sing along with everyone else. So you're just kind of standing there like a bump on a log. So I expect those words to come up on the screen at the right time. I expect the videos to look professional. And if those things don't happen, we're going to have a talk Monday morning. It's not personal, people. It's business. I like Mr. Drew Sample. 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 I like him. I'll come into work. We'll talk about football. Then we go into that Monday morning meeting. It's then business. It doesn't matter if we're friends or not. It's business. It's not personal. You see, some of you haven't figured it out yet, so I'm going to help you. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. Work is a professional environment, not a personal environment. Home is a personal environment. So let me say that again, because I want you to get this. Work is a professional environment, not a personal environment. Home is a personal environment. Now, I know many of you are probably sitting out there thinking, what? Well, I'm going to explain what I mean by that. What I mean is that at work, it's about the job and about getting the job done. It's not about you. Let me say that again. When you're at work, it's about work. It's about the job. It's not about you. I'm sorry that you didn't get any sleep last night. I'm sorry that you're going through marital problems. I'm sorry that you're having problems with your children. But you need to deal with that at home on your own time. Oh my gosh. When you're at work, you work. And some people just don't get that. They think because they're going through marital problems that they got a free pass at work. They think just because they're having problems with little Johnny that they can come in and their mind can drift off and they don't have to get their job done. People, it's not that way. When you're at work, you work. Your problems you deal with at home. Now I know some of you are thinking, especially women, well, that seems a little harsh. You think so? I don't think so. But you know, I could be wrong. I don't think I am. So maybe I better go to the Word of God and find out who's right. Am I right or am I wrong? Well, let's look at what Jesus said. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Luke chapter 17. Let's read verses 7 through 10. When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of the sheep, does his master say, Come in and eat with me. No. He says, prepare my meal. Put on your apron and serve me while I eat. You can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are simply unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. Now, the truth is, most biblical scholars have a, a tough time trying to interpret this particular passage of Scripture because it has nothing to do with the verses preceding it or following it. It's interesting. You see, in the preceding verses, Jesus is teaching on faith. And he tells them that if they have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, they can do great things. They can say to a tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it will obey them. But this has nothing to do with that. What Jesus is teaching us here has nothing to do with faith. 
And the passage of Scripture has nothing to do with the, fo- the verses that follow. The verses that follow reveal the story about the ten lepers that were healed. So again, this particular passage has nothing to do with the verses preceding it or the verses following it. So scholars are left wondering, why is this particular passage thrown in here and what does it mean? You know, when I hear that and I look at these commentaries and I read what biblical scholars have to say about this particular passage of Scripture, I think, good grief, people. It's not that hard. This is what is known as a standalone teaching because it doesn't need to be placed in any type of context to be interpreted. Does that make sense? You see, there are certain difficult passages of Scripture. And when you read it, you think, what in the world does that mean? Well, you have to understand the Sitzimleben, the setting or the situation that was taking place at the time in order to be able to interpret that passage of Scripture. But this is not the case here. This is what is known as a stand-alone teaching. What that means is you could put this particular passage of Scripture anywhere in the Bible that you want to. And wherever you put it in the Bible, the meaning stays the same. It is a standalone teaching. Jesus meant what he said, and he said what he meant, and it's as simple as that. A third grader can understand what Jesus is saying here. That's why it's not placed in a particular context. It doesn't need to be. So let's read this passage of Scripture again, and let it speak for itself. Look at verses 7 and 8. When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, Does his master say, come in and eat with me? No. He says, prepare my meal, put on your apron, serve me while I eat. Then you can eat later. Now, in this passage of Scripture, Jesus is using an everyday situation to illustrate a point. Actually, several points, but we're going to look at each point one at a time, if you don't mind. Notice that Jesus is emphasizing that the servants worked all day, And the servant is tired, but he still has more work to do. So does the master tell him to forget about his other responsibilities because he's tired? No! Why? Because the servant has a job to do, and he's expected to do that job. The master knows he's tired. The master knows that he'd like to put his feet up and rest a while. But he's got a job to do, so he needs to do it. Listen to me, people. Work is a professional environment, not a personal environment. Home is a personal environment. What this passage of Scripture is saying is, I know you're tired. That's too bad. There's work to do. You can eat when you get home. You can eat on your own time. You can eat when your job is done. Oh, my gosh. Look at verse number 9. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. Did you catch that? We don't want to. Is Jesus actually saying what I think he is? Jesus wants to know. Does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Now, people, that's a rhetorical question. And Jesus answers it himself. He knows the answer to it when he asks the question, so he's going to answer it himself. And he says, of course not. In other words, that's ridiculous. But why is it ridiculous? It's ridiculous because the servant's just doing what he's supposed to. And the same principle applies today. When you go to work, your boss hired you to do something. He tells you what to do. And when you do it, 
Does he thank you? Of course not. That's ridiculous. Why? Why does he not thank you? Because you're just doing your job. You're doing what you're supposed to. And that's why you get paid. You're not doing it as a favor to him. Now, if he's not paying you, then you're doing it as a favor. And he should appreciate it. But he's not not paying you. He is paying you. He's coming in and giving you something in return for doing this. Verse number 10. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. Now, in this verse, Jesus is telling us what the proper attitude of a servant should be, which in today's culture would apply to employees. And what is the proper attitude that we're to have? We are simply doing our job. People, that's the proper attitude. We are simply doing our job. But sad to say, most of us don't have that attitude. We think that we're doing our boss a favor when we do what we're supposed to. And when he doesn't say thank you, we don't feel like we're being appreciated. People, the problem is not your boss. The problem is you. The problem is your attitude. He's paying you to do a job. Do the job. Now, I believe that every employee should order themselves a plaque. And they should put that plaque on, the, on their desk in their office. And on that plaque, they should have these words engraved. I'm just doing my job. You know, it's kind of interesting. But I had a guy that used to do worship for us. Name is Monty Horton, and Monty did a great job. And I would say, Monty, you do a super job. That was great this morning in worship. And Monty would look at me and say, It's what I do. And you know, it started irritating me. Because I say, Monty, that was great. And he goes, It's what I do. And I thought he meant it kind of a cocky thing, like, I'm just great. So one day I said, Why do you always say, It's what I do? And he says, That's what you pay me to do, Pastor. You hired me to do that. I make sure that my heart's right. I make sure that the preparation is right, and that's what I do. I appreciate you thanking me. I appreciate you coming in and telling me what a great job I do, but I want you to understand something. Even if you didn't do that, I would do it because it's what I do. Wow. I wish every Christian had that attitude. Now, let me talk to the bosses for a second. Employees, you can just kind of tune out right now. Do I have any employers here? Any managers, bosses, people who own their own businesses? All right, I'm going to talk to you for a second, all right? God does not have to express appreciation to us when we do what he told us to do because he is the master and we are his servants. But God still does. God still expresses appreciation to us. Why does he do that? Because it's part of his nature. People, when we get to heaven, the first words that we're going to hear from God is this, well done, good and faithful servant. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verse number 21. It says, The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Now, I want you to notice it says, The master was full of praise. This is just the type of person the master is. When he sees a job well done, man, he is full of praise. He can't wait to tell the servant how good of a job he did. So what am I saying? I'm saying that if you're a boss, 
You need to emulate God and you need to praise your people when they deserve it. When they do a good job, you need to tell them you did a good job. When they do a great job, you need to tell them they did a great job. If they went above and beyond what they're supposed to do, you need to give them some type of reward. You need to reward that type of behavior. You need to celebrate their accomplishment because that's the way that God operates. You know, I have to be honest with you. Lisa says, you're a pretty good cheerleader, Alan. Because I am an affirmative person. I'm the type of person that comes in, I see someone doing a good job, I want to tell them, you did a good job. If I see someone doing a great job, I want to tell them, you did a great job. Sometimes I'll just walk down that hallway and I'll be going saying, Shirley, you do such a super job, I don't know what we would do without you. And then I see Katrina, I say, Katrina, I'm telling you, it's going great over there with team kids. You just keep it up. I saw you had two salvations. Meredith, I'm just hearing wonderful things. And I just go down the hall telling everyone what a great job they're doing. And you know what's kind of interesting? It's not something I have to work at. You want to know why I don't have to work at it? It's not because of my personality. It's because I spend a lot of time with God. I spend a lot of time praying. I spend a lot of time in the Word of God. And when you spend time around people, you start acting like the people you're around. That can work to good and that can work to bad. You know, we tell our kids, bad company corrupts good morals because that's scriptural. You start hanging around with the wrong type of people, you'll act like them. But because I hang around a lot with God, I start picking up the characteristics of God. And I know in my prayer time, I'll be praying about something, and, and you know, I, I'll know I screwed up. I so said, God, I just screwed up, and I'll start beating myself up. And God will say, you did, Alan, it's okay. But I'm telling you, I'm really excited about what you're doing here. And God starts praising me. And God starts affirming me. And he starts building me up when I'm down. And when you spend time with a person like that, it just kind of carries over. That's why I'm a cheerleader. But employees, listen to me, don't expect that. The majority of bosses are not that way. The majority of bosses don't start their morning off seeking God in prayer. The majority of bosses don't start their mornings by reading the Word of God. They don't spend time with God. They spend time with their bosses. And their bosses are giving them a hard time and want to know, why in the world is this not getting done? We're three weeks behind on this project. So-and-so let this account lapse. Now we've lost them and there was someone else. And they just got their rear chewed out. So when they come out, guess what? They've been hanging out with these type of people. They come in. And they don't care whether you did this or that, this. All they know is you haven't done this. Now listen to me that doesn't matter. Jesus was telling us what a proper attitude is. We are simply doing our job. We're paid to do this job. Whether the boss affirms us or not, whether the boss appreciates us or not, we are supposed to work a certain way because we are Christians. We are Christians. And our light is supposed to shine in the darkest places. Our light is supposed to shine where people think Christianity cannot exist. We are supposed to be at our best when Satan's throwing his best at us. Now, why is it so important to have the proper attitude as an employee? Well, I'll tell you why. It's important because if you expect to be appreciated and you're not, you become resentful. Now, resentment causes bitterness to spring up. And a bitter person 
has the worst attitude of any person. You begin saying things like, I'm not appreciated. No one cares if I do a good job or a bad job. No one ever says anything. And pretty soon, you've got a horrible attitude. And people, a bad attitude is like poison in the work environment. It's toxic. It's horrible. Now, if you remember, I told you when I began this sermon that it only takes one person to create a hostile work environment. And if you have a bad attitude, you are that person. Your resentment is what's creating that hostile work environment. You're blaming it on the boss, and he might be a jerk, but I want you to understand, when you get alone with God, God's going to tell you, uh-uh, the boss is not the problem. You are the problem. You are the problem because you have a bad attitude. You are the guilty person. And people can see your bad attitude. They can feel your bad attitude. They can see it in your actions. They can see the vibes that you send out. They can see it in your body language. They can see it in your face. They can see it in everything you do. Now, I want you to understand that is totally against what the Bible teaches. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 23. This is one of my favorite verses. My favorite is, we ruin our lives by our own foolishness and then blame God. That's my favorite verse. But this is one of my favorites. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men. Now, according to this... You're to do everything. You're to work at your job as if you are working for God and not your boss. So you need to tell yourself that you're not doing this great job just for your boss. You're not doing this great job so you'll be recognized or so that someone will see it. You're doing this great job because God has given you gifts, talents, and abilities. And because God is the master and you are his servant. And now you are working for him. People, that's part of a proper attitude. That's what I'm talking about. Now, in this series, I'm going to teach you how to overcome in a hostile work environment. But you must have the right attitude. If you don't have the right attitude, everything that I'm going to teach you doesn't matter because a bad attitude would negate every biblical principle that I have. Let me tell you what a bad attitude does. A bad attitude makes you a butt. You're the type of person that will say, but it doesn't work at my place. But I can't do it that way. But I don't care how good I do, he's never going to recognize. But, you see, you become a but. So your bad attitude negates every biblical principle that I'm going to teach. You'll think it doesn't work. You'll think it can't happen in your environment. And as a result of that, you'll never be what God wants you to be. And one day... When you wake up in heaven, you're going to find out that you did not get the rewards that you should. Oh, you're going to be in heaven, all right, because you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And we're saved by grace, not by works. But you need to understand something. We're rewarded by our works. And so when you find out that you're not getting too many rewards in heaven, and you are asking God, why not? He's going to say, do you remember that bad attitude you had? That bad attitude negated every biblical principle that I was trying to impart unto you. Every sermon that Pastor Allen was teaching, you had a but for it. Well, he can do it because he's working in a church environment. 
But if he worked where I worked, people, that's not the way it is. A bad attitude negates everything. Let me tell you what else a bad attitude does. A bad attitude sabotages the mission of the company and every effort to fulfill that mission. I worked for Southwestern Bell when I turned 20 years old. I got into college, graduated at 17, went about two and a half years to college, got on at Southwestern Bell, so I went to work for them at the age of 20, 25. I worked with most people who had been at the company 25 to 30 years. They'd started when they were 18 years old. These men were in their upper 40s, 50s, and some even in their 60s. And let me tell you, I'd never seen a bad attitude like that. Never had. And when the boss would come down, you have to understand we had first line, second line, third lines, and those were supervisors, and so your boss had a boss who had a boss. And when their second line and third line supervisors would come down, they'd have donuts there, and of course, the bad attitude people, which was almost everyone, that's Kool-Aid, don't drink the Kool-Aid. So they would come in and they wouldn't even touch the donuts. Well, I'm 20 years old, they brought donuts, I'm eating donuts. So man, I've got all my donuts and all the older guys are shooting me these death looks. We don't eat the donuts. We let them know they're management, we're craft people, we're union. Union people hate bosses. Well, that's all right for you guys, but there's free donuts and I'm having my donuts. And so they give the donuts, he's trying to make them happy, and then he'd say, this is what we're going to do. And they would try to implement a new program. And all of the old guys sit back there and they just looked at them. And as soon as they left, the old guys would start. I'm not doing that, that's stupid. If they want me to do that, they're going to have to pay me a lot more money than they're paying me now. And then they would all look at me. Now you've got to understand, I'm a new Christian. They look at me and they said, what are you going to do, Cubby? And I said, I'm going to do what they tell me to do. Now, let me tell you, that did not go over very well. What do you mean you're going to do what? Are you going to go get with them? I said, you got to understand something. They pay me to do a job. If they don't make money, they don't need me. You guys are close enough to retirement, you can retire. But I just want you to understand something. They're paying me to do a job. If they want me to do this job standing on my head, I will do this job standing on my head. I'm not trying to make you guys mad. And inside I'm thinking, oh, farts. <laughs> I'm not trying to make you guys mad. But they pay my salary. And because they pay my salary, they can tell me what they want me to do. And let me just explain something. It was always for the best. We'd implement this and we would start doing it. And sure enough, eventually these old guys would come around and they would grudgingly say, well, yeah, it was better. Now every once in a while, I have to admit, they'd do something that was silly. But that's okay. It's their company. I work for the company. If they tell me to do that, I need to do that. But you need to understand, because these older men had a bad attitude, their goal was to sabotage the mission and every effort to fulfill that mission. Does that make sense? When you have a bad attitude and your boss comes out and he says, here's what we're going to try and do. And what he's desperately trying to do in these bad economic conditions is make sure that you make money so you'll have a job. So he comes out and he says, our mission is to make money. We're going to do this. And with your bad attitude, you go, uh, yeah, we are. Your bad attitude makes you want to sabotage the mission and every effort to fulfill that mission. And now you're not working for that man. Listen to me. You're working against that man. Now you're not working for the company. You're working against the company. 
And I saw it as a young person, and I thought, this is not what my daddy taught me. My daddy taught me to work. My dad taught me to respect who signs your paycheck. This isn't right. And I'd look at that, and here I am, a new Christian. I'd start reading the Word of God, and I would go, these guys are supposedly Christians. The problem is, they never sat in a church where the pastor got up and he taught the truth. People, let me tell you, when you go to work for someone, you work for that person. But you work as if you're working for God, not men. That's what the Word of God says. Go to Luke, the 17th chapter. I challenge you, the scripture I used this morning to tell you that you should not expect to be appreciated at work. Go to Luke chapter 17, verses 7 through 10. You read that passage of Scripture. You come back and tell me if that's not what it's saying. It is a standalone passage. You do not have to put it in any type of context to be able to interpret it correctly. You could pull it out there and put it in the book of Jeremiah, and it would mean the same thing. You could take it out of the book of Luke, and you could put it in the book of Romans, and it would mean the very same thing. I'm not telling you this. Jesus is telling you this. Now, the reason I'm starting off with this is because I want to build a foundation in which I'm going to teach you certain principles. I'm going to take these principles and I'm going to lay it down on this foundation. But the foundation is the proper attitude. If you don't have the proper attitude, it doesn't matter what else I teach during this series. You're going to be a but. But that won't work where I am. But that doesn't work with my boss. I'm here to tell you, the Word of God works everywhere if it's applied correctly. So you get your attitude right. And then I'll show you how to shine in the midst of darkness. Now here's what I want you to do this morning. We're going to end with this before we do the altar call. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, I still love Pastor Allen. <laughs> you laughed. You didn't say it. <laughs> People, I know what it's like. To work for horrible people. I know what it's like to work with horrible people. But I'm here to tell you, God can make you an overcomer, but he can't do it until you have the proper attitude. When you have the proper attitude, then God's work can go to work for you. And I'll tell you something else. If you're stuck in a dead-end job and you hate your job, I can almost guarantee you, you will not get a better job until you learn to overcome. God is that way. That's the way God is. Because right now you're in a place that is testing your character. That is trying to make you stronger as a Christian. And you're failing the test. And you're not becoming stronger. And so God says, I can't give you something better until you learn how to deal with this. I promise you, if you want a better job, you learn to excel where you're at. God will then give you all of the appreciation you need. He'll also come in and he'll give you not only the accolades, but he'll also give you a much better job. But until you learn to overcome, it doesn't work that way.